0: net zero business podcast is brought to you in association with ed's sustainable business cover podcast and is the only place where corporate responsibility and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction strategies so welcome and enjoy the journey to a net zero future Hello and welcome along to the Net Zero Business Podcast from Edie. I'm Edie's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'm delighted to be hosting this episode for you today, Um, even if I have had to peel myself away from Wimbledon and from the Euros to record. If you're unfamiliar with this podcast series, Net Zero Business, it's a spin-off from Ed's long-standing sustainable business cover podcast, which recently celebrated the 100-episode milestone. So Net Zero Business specifically focuses on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with updated climate science and set Net Zero emissions goals. Since the UK, where we are, set its Net Zero target in law... The movement towards net zero by mid-century at the latest has grown globally and now covers around 70% of GDP. Businesses and organisations across the public sector have moved faster than their respective nations in many cases, setting tighter deadlines and stricter accounting requirements through their carbon and energy strategies getting ahead of the curve. So in each episode of this podcast series, we speak to one of these leading organisations to get a behind-the-scenes look into target development and delivery. Our guests for the Net Zero Business podcast this year have included the University of Exeter, EY and Ellis Kitchen, and there's lots more to come. This month, we are spotlighting the need to decarbonise the UK's higher education and research sector in an exclusive interview with two leaders at Staffordshire University, namely Chief Financial Officer and Deputy CEO Sally McGill and lecturer Dr Eleanor Atkins, who works in the Biological and Biomedical Sciences Department. Staffordshire University has committed to reaching net zero carbon across its Scope 1, direct, and Scope 2, power-related emissions by 2030. It's also working with partners, suppliers and the local community in Stoke-on-Trent to reduce those all-important Scope 3, (thus indirect, emissions. But aside from getting its own house and value chain in order, the uni also has plans to improve green skills and education, research in areas that could accelerate the low-carbon transition and help restore and conserve nature, and encourage behaviour change among its hundreds of staff and fifteen thousand plus students. So I'm hoping that this interview with Sally and Eleanor will prove as interesting for you as it was for me. Without further ado, let's play it in full. Well, good morning, Sally, and good morning, Ellie. It's a delight to have you on the podcast today. How are you? How are you both this morning?
1: Oh, we're really good. It's a lovely uh, sunny day in Stoke-on-Trent. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great, to, great, great to be talking to you. Yeah, it's lovely outside, bright and breezy and we're yeah, really excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, you're, you're much luckier than us here in Sussex. Massive heatwave at the moment, very sticky, no no breeze <laughs> whatsoever. Um, but yes, thank you so much for for taking the time to dial in for the Net Zero Business um, podcast. We did this with the University of Exeter earlier this year, and that was really well listened to, and I loved doing it. Um, so I did like to be finding out about another Net Zero strategy from another university here um, in the UK. Um, but I think the obvious place to start, with this one just because Sally is CFO and deputy CEO um, and Ellie is a lecturer in the biological and biomedical sciences department I just wanted to get a feel of where sustainability sits at the university so whether there's a sustainability team or manager and how you guys interact with them if so. Uh, Well, yes, so as as a CFO, um, I
1: I am the overall um, lead for um, our strategy on sustainability. Um, But we really do see sustainability as something which is everyone's issue. And we have spent the last year embedding that assumption that it should really be within everybody's role. We do have some specialist roles. So we have a, a sustainability engineer who has just joined us, who has a very strong background in sustainable construction. But we have other people who carry out their roles through that lens of sustainability. So, for example, um, our head of facilities management is um, is very, very keen on making sure that um, she's able to make our um, uh, services on campus much more sustainable. We're also very lucky that we can, as a university, that we can work with our students union and they have an officer who is... Um, uh, dedicated to that, and they also have a member of staff who's responsible for sustainability, so we, we, um, we have some really good discussions with the, the student groups. And we also have many academics who are working in different areas of sustainability, so people who are looking at sustainable architecture, um, well, we have a particular group who are researching into the impacts of the disintegration of plastics into the environment um, and they apparently reappear in our food. And apparently we, we all eat about a credit card's worth of plastic every week as a result of that, which is quite quite a shocking thought. So really, that's where Ellie comes in as well. So she and I have been working together for the last year because she's become our um, university lead for our campus biodiversity as well as her um, role as an academic so i'm going to going to hand over to um ellie who's going to tell us a bit more about her work so Mm -hmm. um there's
2: lots of projects that i've been involved in and there's also quite a number of these projects that involve a range of people including students and i think this is important as it promotes the idea that students themselves can be perceived and they can perceive that they really can help to make a difference in the things that they are doing and they're also appreciated by the university One of the projects that I'd like to talk to you about is the Wild Staffs project where the students are working alongside and leading a team, including staff members um, from a range of different areas within the university. The project allows the learners to apply the theories that they've been learning about in lesson to improve the estate for both wildlife, aesthetics and sustainability. And the idea of this is that we hope to create a beautiful biodiverse landscape to be enjoyed by members of the community and connect and improve the habitats on our campus. Based around the theories that they've been learning in their ecology sessions and how that all, all that connectivity can really boost the potential for wildlife. But also, because it's a, an open campus and we want to involve the community, we want it to be a really, really nice place and encourage members of the public to come here, relax and enjoy the beautiful landscapes that we're hoping to create. Um, and Also, there have been a, a number of other projects that the students have been involved in. Um, even though the biodiversity net gain is not a requirement yet for the university. The university has listened to the recommendations proposed by the students as we've been doing surveys of the new developments for biodiversity net gain potential. Um, and they've listened to the students' recommendations of how to maximize biodiversity within the landscapes of these new developments, including the multi-million pound catalyst building and also the forest school. Um, and we've now had p- plans passed that offer the potential for over 50% biodiversity net gain from these projects. So that's a really impressive figure. Um, but taking on the responsibility of these projects, it really has made an amazing difference to the students. And the fact that the university values their skills and knowledge this much and really, really boosts their confidence, And also that looks really impressive on their CV. And um, the students really feel valued and part of the community of the university. Um, our expertise being me, the students, and the, the other members of the department has also been put into use within the centre for our, of our city, um, where we've been asked to advise um, The council and a particular the the project that's trying to enhance and increase the biodiversity value and the aesthetics and the environmental quality of the the city centre and we've been asked to help them to decide how they can expand and manage the green infrastructure that's in there so we're advising where they can plant hedges trees and wildflower meadows and there's a great potential to involve the students in this work too so that they have a meaningful real world projects they can apply their knowledge to and actually go out and do their learning um in these really excellent um opportunities to gain these real life experiences
0: fantastic well ellie i'm sure we can come back onto this in a moment because for universities i know that this brain print and this impact in the community is just as important as the operational impact of of the campus and and the supply chain itself but i do want to just drill into that net zero target a little bit first and sally i know you wanted to talk about this one um, so, I'd love to talk about. So, the, the target is deadlined at 2030. Um, I'd love to know how you and your team and all of those people that you mentioned work together to decide that this was an appropriate deadline um, and also to determine which, which kinds of emissions, which scopes are included as well. So, we, um, we have a sustainability group, which is a, ve- a very, very broad
1: group which um, involves um, senior managers, academics, representatives from the students and anybody really from, from many of the departments or the schools who have an interest in, um, in sustainability. And I suppose it was sort of through looking at what other people were doing that, um, that, the, um, that the target of 2030 for scopes one and two seemed to give us enough time to be, to be a reasonable period to achieve it. So we didn't want to set a target that was too short because we wouldn't be able to achieve it, but we thought that that, that was a reasonable. Um, amount of pressure to give ourselves basically to deal with that but that is only scopes one and one and two um, and um, I, I think it would be interesting as well to think about um, you know how we're going to sort of tackle that you know so what are we what are we going to tackle first in terms of net zero and where, and where do we, what do we think might be might be harder to tackle so mm-hmm. I'm going to sort of part scope three because really that is the hardest thing for us so I'm going to part that because particularly for universities that's quite a challenge um, but if we think about one and two obviously we, we're reliant upon the decarbonisation of the of the, the the grid. So we want obviously want the government to press on with their plans for wind power and nuclear in in the UK, so that we can be taking energy or electricity from uh, from the grid that's that's already decarbonised. And we we're also thinking about getting. We need to get out of gas. We we do still burn some gas, and we need to, that's a pretty much priority is to get out of gas, burning gas. And we want to be able to increase the, the amount of energy that we actually generate on on campus from renewables as well. So with with looking at that every building we put up is going to have photovoltaic cells on the roof so that we can then start to generate energy. And I suppose our real goal would be to have a a wind turbine. Um, I I don't know if we'll we'll get there because of planning permission and things, but it's certainly an an aspiration. And I I suppose as as a university with a large and very diverse campus, so we've got buildings that were built in. Uh, so sort of 1914, all the way to something that's currently be, being built at the, at the moment. Quite a diff, different range of building styles that have been used there, different materials. And the, the first thing we're doing is to really to, is to look at those buildings and say, can we actually retrofit them to make them sustainable? And in some cases, probably demolition is the only answer. In other cases, probably we can improve insulation. We can improve the way that, that the, the, light, the lighting, the heating, et cetera, to, to, to make them Um, certainly more sustainable, if if not, probably wouldn't be able to achieve carbon net zero in those buildings, but certainly more sustainable. We are, however, also in the lucky position that we can build new buildings which are much more sustainable as well. And in autumn 2021, we're going to be opening our first carbon net zero building, that's carbon net zero across its lifetime, which is going to be the nursery and the forest school, which Ellie talked about, and that's going to be essentially a wooden construction, And it's going to have a very very minimal amount of um, mechanical and electrical uh, workings within it that need to be maintained, that that take power, that need to be replaced over time. It's going to use much more sort of passive house um, uh, cooling and um, uh, airflow within it. And that that nursery is important to us because the type of university that we are, because we have a lot of um, students who are commuters, who have families, and who want to bring their children to the nursery, and also a lot of our staff bring their. They, they enjoy that facility as well but the forest school is something slightly different and that's some, somewhere that children can come to from local schools and they can then enjoy the um the area that ellie was talking about which is the nature reserve they can enjoy the, the landscape that we already have and that we'll be developing over over time so that's that's a really important building to us but it will also be carbon net zero and that's really going to set the blueprint then for the other buildings that we're going to build over the next 10 years we really want to be sort of like really raising our aspirations around creating those those sustainable buildings And um, but we've also been looking at our um, campuses in terms of our scope one and two so reducing food waste recy- recycling a higher percentage of waste and using more sustainable materials in, in the things that we do so that really then brings me to scope three target for scope three is 2050 um, we have been working already for a number of years with local businesses to try to increase the number of local businesses that we're using. So we're reducing food miles, we're reducing the, the miles that the materials are coming. So the, the building which we are currently building, which is going to be the Catalyst, which is a new home for our sort of business and uh, apprenticeship courses, and that is using bricks which have come literally about five miles down down the road so we're very very pleased about the fact we've been able to really limit the the distance that those materials have had to have had to travel but the but the big the biggest thing for us really is 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 international travel because we obviously we attract international students and we have colleagues academics who need to travel around the world to to as as part of their, their work so i think travel is going to be difficult for all universities to sort of get that balance between the need to go to go abroad um, and have that in-person experience and certainly for students to come here. And then the other thing really is, is travel to and from the, the campus. So again, we, we believe that despite what's happened recently with a lot of things going online, we still believe firmly that the, the basis of, of a good higher education is that is an is an, an element of an in-person experience? So people are always going to be coming here, whether they're going to be um, living and and studying here, or whether they're going to be commuting to here, because we have quite a large proportion of our students who are who are older and who commute to the campus. People are still going to want to come together to get that buzz, to you know, to share ideas, and to read. That's really part of their learning is going to, is going to take place on on the campus. So we are going to be um, increasing our Electric charging points for vehicles, obviously help uh, persuading people that they should be looking more at electric vehicles if they have to come by car. Preferably, we'd obviously like to see more sustainable public transport options. There's the potential in the area for a, a light sort of like railway, tramway type scheme. So we're very very keen to see that happen, uh, working with the, with the local authority. To look at those public transport options and, to, and and also to increase the number of people who are walking and and, and cycling to the to the campus. So I think yeah. So that's so I think the sort of travel is probably going to be our biggest challenge in the in
0: the scope scope three. Mm, um, and we can come on to that behaviour change with travel and other things in a moment. But I wanted to talk about some of those sources of emissions, Sally, that you mentioned that really are just unavoidable. So some people are just going to be taking international flights. And at the moment, there's no such thing as a as a net zero plane. Um, so in this series of podcasts, I always like to ask um, whether carbon offsetting features in in the strategy and and if so, how? Um, Yes I think inevitably
1: because we we, like many other businesses as you say we're going to be going to have to take that time to transition to those fully carbon net zero solutions but this is the point when I am to hand over to Ellie because obviously we want to make sure that those offset projects are actually genuine and and ethical and this is something that that obviously concerns us. Yeah like
0: Sally
2: said it's going to be one of our last resort options because you know that we want to reduce the problem rather than t- treat the consequences so there are a number of methods that offsetting may seem like the easy alternative um, but that like i was saying we seem to be masking the issue rather than actually making those changes those behavioral changes and those strategy changes that will actually have those long-lasting impacts um, we want to ensure that where there is no alternative to offsetting that it really does have maximum benefit Um offsetting can take many different forms um, but we would like to use offsetting if any, in any way to keep it local and to improve our local community area rather than um, planting trees in Africa, for example. We want to actually make a difference to our community in terms of sustainability and um, all those different 17 aspects of sustainability, not just necessarily the sort of carbon offsetting. Um, and this can be achieved through nature based solutions such as planting trees, improving the habitats within the city. Um, but also um, can be achieved by reducing the deleterious impacts of other non-sustainable activities such as reducing the amount of pollution. So, for example, if we can support this tramway idea and and reduce the number of traffic on their their roads and reduce that amount of pollution, then that's already going to have a a beneficial impact. Um, But much thought needs to be incorporated into any decisions that are made. and We have to be absolutely sure that the benefits are genuine and any potential
1: negatives are understood and assessed. So we, we've actually um, had a, a, um, a, an on-campus e- example of, of offsetting. I suppose to sort of to bring things home to people, which is an event which Ellie's going to talk about later. To offset the travel of people actually vis- visiting the event, it's a one-day event that people are going to be coming to the community. That hedgerows are actually going to be planted to actually offset, and in a way, that's a really good illustration to people to show to say if it's if just a group of people travelling across Staffordshire to to, to the campus needs this amount of hedgerow for one day, then just mm. think how much we need every year for the number of people that, that, we, that we employ, for all of the activities that we undertake, this, it's, obviously it's massive. So therefore, I suppose it gets the point across that it's better not to have traveled by car in the first place than to have to then keep planting yeah. these trees or keep planting greenery in order to sort of do the offsetting. So yes, I think it's, it's something we, we definitely will sort of want to engage with the community about as well.
0: Mm. It's that idea of making it visual, isn't it? Making it real. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And and I know we can cover a little bit more more on this, Ellie. And I know that you've been researching things like hedgerows and biodiversity net gain, so that'll be a passion project of yours. And judging by what you've said about student recommendations, the students are really on board um, with with that as as well. And we've talked about some of the things that can be done to engage students and drive behaviour changes in terms of things being embedded in courses or individual events, but I'd love to hear about about what what else you have going on in that field as well.
2: So, um, we are currently developing a short course for students on climate change and societal response, um, which we'll be able to incorporate into their studies. Um, There will also be short courses for all staff to help them understand the challenges that we face. We're trying to educate the students and the staff on ways that they can improve their behaviours. To make sure that they have the knowledge and experience to make these changes appropriately. Um, We see sustainability as everyone's issue right from um, the the students even before they start thinking about how they're going to get here but also right through to the higher levels of every staff and every department within the university. Um, And we're also embedding sustainability principles into all of our degrees throughout the academic strategy. We have a sustainability group which uh, welcomes representatives from all aspects of the university life, including academic departments, professional services, students, the Students' Union. And We recently ran a sustainability challenge um, for projects to promote sustainability and biodiversity on campus. We've got loads of different uh, initiatives. Um, This week is our Green Week week, so we have lots of different activities going on. We've got talks from local businesses about how they've um, achieved multi-award winning sustainability, Uh, based companies. Um, We have actual projects. We have a Make a Difference mini project where students have come up with an idea. They're going to actually action that within this week and then present that to the panel on Friday about the things that they could do to make a positive difference for biodiversity. We've got a Happy Healthy Campus project where students are invited to team up with um, other students or members of staff to um, suggest ways that we might not have thought of to improve the campus, to make it a happier, healthier life for both uh, wildlife species and the environment, Um, and actually, you know, we can listen to those, they're going to pitch it to us, and we can take notice and make changes based on their recommendations. Um, We've also got the Wild Staffs project that I've mentioned previously, where students are applying their learning to the landscapes of the university. We've got the 15-minute campus, where this is also a community-based project as well, where we are encouraging, uh, we're trying to create an interactive map that identifies all of the services that we think people will need throughout their daily lives or weekly lives or monthly lives or even throughout their entire lives that they can actually access those within a 15 minute walk or cycle ride from a particular location within the city which is probably going to be their their postcode when they pop that into those things so that we can show them that they don't have to travel um to 30 minutes in their car to get to this um service that they require but they can actually just tootle down the road to get those same um same experiences or same resources without actually causing that pollution so that's the idea behind that one a lot of the other projects we're trying to involve the uh, community in the local area and we're trying to you know post covid we're hoping to have become more of a hub uh, for them to come in and get involved and get hands on and get involved in you know managing our campus experiencing the nature reserve but also we're doing a lot of online activities this year including our um Staff does Spring Watch, which is being sent out uh, via YouTube. So it'll be streamed so that the audience can be um, anybody who wants to get involved um, throughout the entire world, really. And we link that in with the EU Green Week. So that's going to be promoted um, throughout the whole of the EU as well, where we are showing what we've got on campus and ways that they can make little changes so they can go out and experience those um, aspects of nature, see the foxes, hear the birds, but just by noticing the things that are on their doorstep. Um, another uh, community-based uh, on, online event is our Great Green Gathering, Going Greener. Um, we ran that last year and it was a really good take-up. Um, it's basically an online family-friendly festival where we have activities, talks, quizzes, um, little handy hints about how you can make your garden wildlife friendly, um, how to you know, look after hedgehogs in your local community, what you might find if you stuck a little camera trap out the back into a little bit of scraggy green, green space at the bottom of your garden, um, and little positive changes because we really want to encourage people to change their behaviours to become more sustainable. We're pointing out how easy and simple some of these little strategies can be to make a really big difference to the environment around you. We're hoping though that this uh, festival will also be um, a face-to-face event either this the end of this summer COVID permitting or next summer where we can actually get people onto campus and that's where the idea of the offsetting for that creation of a hedge came through um, because we actually want to get them into the um, university campus hopefully coming from the local area so that they won't be causing a lot of transport um, pollution get them in experience what we've got here allow them to have positive changes but also make sure that everything every little aspect of that is considered for its sustainability and we're hoping that that will be our first net carbon zero event at the university. We've even considered it right down to the way that we are giving out prizes. So each prize will have a, a net zero or net positive for biodiversity or for carbon, things like um, packets of seeds that they can plant in their garden or bird boxes that have been created from sustainability source, so sustainability source wood, uh, reusable drinks cups that if they use them three times is much more sustainable than providing with a, with a a a plastic cup and I think it's only one and a half times to replace the the cardboard cup. So those sort of things have been thought down right to that detail and the only issue that we could say that will possibly cause a a positive for carbon was the transport and that's where we thought well perhaps we'll extend the hedgerows that we've planned on planting to make sure that we're not doing something different actually will create over the 10 to 30 years to 50 years that the hedgerow will be there be a 300% carbon benefit um, by creating that hedgerow from this event. So, other ways that we're involving the community are we are taking part in the Better World Festival within Stoke-on-Trent this summer, um, where we'll be promoting the things that we are doing and also promoting what things that they can be doing as well to encourage those positive behavioural changes within our city.
0: Fantastic. Well, I have my fingers crossed that that event on campus can go ahead for you guys this year with everything going on with, with COVID. And I didn't realise it was your green, green week. So an extra big thank you for finding the time to record this podcast with us today. Um, but for now, that's all the time I've got. And all that remains is to thank you both so much for your time. Well, thank you. It's been great to talk to you today. Thank you. Yes, thanks once again to Sally and Eleanor for all of their insight. We will, of course, be keeping an eye on the university's progress towards net zero and its other sustainability-related milestones and announcements, so watch this space. But of course, the net zero movement is global. It's taking place far beyond the walls and value chains of ED and of Staffordshire University, um, and it's only growing in the run-up to COP26. With this in mind, it's time to come on to our Net Zero News in Brief, the part of this podcast where we round up some of the major news stories in this space from the past few weeks. Firstly, some global news from this week. The Task Force on Scaling Voluntary Carbon Markets has announced plans to launch an independent governance body with a global remit by the end of 2021. Launched last year by Mark Carney, formerly of the Bank of England, the task force estimates that the current market for offsets will need to grow by at least 15-fold by 2030 if the private sector is to align with net zero by 2050 at the latest. This entails a halving of net emissions by 2030 at the latest. At the same time as the market scales up, greenwashing concerns will need to be addressed, hence the new governance body. Next up, we have some net zero announcements from the aviation sector. Bristol Airport has announced that it reached carbon neutrality for 2020 using offsetting and it has set a 2030 net zero goal. But green campaign groups have called the milestones greenwashing as emissions from flights and from passenger travel to and from the airport are not accounted for. Aberdeen, Glasgow and Southampton airports have also set a net zero target for the mid-2030s since the last episode of this podcast. All of these airports are members of the UK Sustainable Aviation Coalition. And last but not least, in other news from the private sector, H&M Group, Walmart, Kingfisher and Inca Group, which owns IKEA, have launched a new initiative designed to help retailers collaborate in overcoming challenges on the transition to net zero. The initiative is being operated in partnership with the World Business Council for Sustainable Development and the COP26 High Level Climate Action Champions Initiative as part of the Race to Zero Breakthrough Scheme. I hope that this has provided just a taste of some of the many, many happenings in the climate action space over the past month or so. To keep up to date with all the headlines, head to ed.net and use the button in the top right hand corner to subscribe to our email newsletters, which are packed with Net Zero news and analysis. There's a daily and a weekly edition, so choose what suits you best. We're almost out of time for this episode, which is just as well, because I'm sure we're all ready to enjoy another weekend of sport and hopefully sun. But before we sign off, I do want to quickly flag something that I hope will be of interest to anyone who is tuning in for the Net Zero Business podcast series. And that is Edie's first Net Zero Business Barometer report. The barometer is new and it will be a biannual survey for sustainability, energy and carbon professionals working in-house at organisations of all sizes and sectors. Hosted in association with Inspired Energy, our first round of the barometer was opened in June and attracted 161 responses. The first report summarises the results of that survey, acting as a snapshot of low-carbon progress to date at organisations of all sizes and sectors, giving a temperature check on how net zero is going to be approached in the coming 12 months too. The report is free to download and is now live at ed.net forward slash downloads. That's ed.net forward slash downloads. But for now, we're coming to the end of this episode. So for today, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye.